Welcome to the Rick Roberts School of Laughs podcast, where we aim to make you bigger, better, and more bookable. From the aspiring comedian to the part-time pro, this is the podcast for you. We'll talk all things comedy from the page to the stage, and now it's showtime. All right, this is Rick Roberts back at Laugh Fest in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which has been a fun experience, uh, despite a rock band that kind of kicks in right in the middle of our sets downstairs. And I'm here with the the intelligent, des- intelligently designed comedy. Is that how you? I, I have that on the website. Yes. Of Robert Mack, and I got to pop in last night and watch a little bit of your set, which is fun for me. I don't usually get to work with a bunch of other comics, so it's fun to see some guys that also work clean and are funny, funny, not just kind of funny. But this is like club funny but clean club funny yeah and so you've been at it quite a while too i've been at it for like 22 years or so yes i've been uh last month was uh 21 years so my my career is old enough to drink <laughs> sweet uh, have you taken advantage of that yet are you getting into some new clubs that you weren't able to get to no <laughs> I work, i'm working fewer clubs but i'm doing more more corporate stuff more more stuff that is suited for the stuff that i do um, when you're when you do clean comedy or people call my stuff smart comedy when you do smart comedy 10:30 11:30 at night on a friday in a club people don't want smart comedy that's not what they're coming for no sometimes they'll stick around for but that's not what they showed up for right they want easy stuff and my stuff you kind of have to figure out a little bit yeah there's some clever wordplay in there there's a lot of good stuff i saw last night so so 21 years did, when you started out were you always kind of thinking i'll i'll be the clever clean or did you kind of evolve into that i don't remember what i when i started what i was going to do but i remember early on i said oh i'll be clean and then after a while i wasn't i was trying to be more natural and and dirty and vulgar and i found that was easy it's easy to be to get laughs being dirty and to stand out sometimes you have to be different right and, and i became clean to to be the one guy out of 10 who who doesn't use foul language as a crutch and so for people listening it's easy to get a, a joke get a laugh out of a dirty joke anyone can do that and the right. reason anyone could do it is it's easy try to be clean in yourself and funny that's a little more challenging and you'll stand out right and and you'll get better gigs you'll definitely get better gigs which lead to a better lifestyle and a better quality of living it's it's tough i mean i, re- I respect all the guys that work the clubs nonstop because that's a hard life i did that for 10 12 years solid at least and then i kind of said that's i'm just going to kill myself if i keep doing this all the time so um it's interesting now when you did some of the more edgy or vulgar stuff did that still work with your persona on stage did the crowd buy that as much as the clean or how did that feel uh the persona i play now is is newer it's about it's not even that new anymore it's seven years or eight years ago that i found this character that i play which is really fun uh it's fun to pretend to be something that you're not i do sort of struggle with being honest and being real on stage and also playing a character because it's it's false um so i struggle with that a little bit but it's it's definitely more fun to play a character and you can ham it up and when the audience knows that it's not me per se that it's a a guy i'm playing i can he can get away with with murder sometimes right so that's uh it was a nice little discovery that i that i stumbled on and god i love it it's it's super fun to do do you find it's more fun and easier to write for because you're, you're taking yourself out of the equation to a degree it's 
It's easier to write for not because it's I'm I'm not in the equation. It's easier to write for because the character is so defined that instead of um, shooting a, a laser gun, a wide spectrum, it's a point. It's mm. it's much easier because that character is so uh, so defined that it's something is either in his voice or isn't. And it just so happens that I. I, I found this character and now I write a joke and I know okay that fits in with this right. character so if it if it stays in the character I keep it if it doesn't fit the character it's a joke I can give to somebody else or just it doesn't work with me right and how would for the people that haven't seen you yet we're going to put your website and some some clips of some of the stuff you've done I saw some Comedy Central clips some good stuff online we can send them to you but how would you describe that character on stage how would I, I, I don't know how, how would you describe it because that's the hardest thing I have is it's hard to describe the, the thing you are. It is tough. W when you have the, those glasses when on. When you're in the middle of it. I have rubber mat glasses on, so everything I see ha is tinted with that. <laughs> right. So it's hard. But uh, a lot of people tell me that it's, uh, it's smart, whatever that means. But I, the character I play, I think, is a dumb guy who thinks he's smart. Yeah, I look at him as kind of a naive overachiever who doesn't understand any that he ever fails. I mean, the way yeah. you're able to spin the negative comments that you get back you know this character gets back into like positive things yeah well he doesn't yeah he doesn't see failure he sees himself as being the smartest guy in the room not realizing that people are staring at him because he's the dumbest guy in the room yeah that's a fun place to be oh it's fun and it, it's not a it's not unique other a lot of comics have that kind of character i mean i don't want to say i I, I stole it from anyone or, or, or anything, but like Brian Regan plays a guy who's dumb. Right. And I play a guy who's dumb, but we're completely different yeah. acts. Uh, but that's how I would describe it, if you uh, a, a smart guy who who's not. Right. <laughs> and w where did you start out at? I started in uh, Tucson, Arizona. I had a, about three years under my belt. I went to San Francisco. And I recommend anyone listening to go to a, a big city and get stage time and see different acts. Um, Tucson's a small market. There's one club. I didn't get a lot of, you don't get a lot of work. Uh, San Francisco, you could do a show every night if you want, if you, if you work at it. And that's the only way to grow is stage time. And San Francisco has a history of comedy. It Not goes stop. way back. And when so you started out, when you got there, was it about 18 years ago when you got there then or so? Yeah, yeah. Who were the guys that were on stage killing it? And you're like, wow, this um, is the place to be. Uh, guys like uh, Jake Johansson and mm -hmm. Pat Oswald had just left. And Margaret Cho had just left. Um, so there was, uh, there was just a legacy of all these great guys. Um, and the people who were sort of in my era... Um, you might not know names, but uh, a guy named Vernon Chapman ended up working with Chris Rock and has won some Emmys with, with Chris Rock, for instance. Um, guys in my era are uh, W. Kamau Bell, who had a show on FX mm -hmm. last year that unfortunately got canceled called the uh, Totally Biased. Right. Um, a guy named Al Madrigal, oh, yeah. who, who's on The, the Daily Show mm -hmm. and had a, a couple of uh, sitcoms that he was the center of. Um, so, yeah, guys who've done really well because the city has a history of it, and uh, and the bar is a little bit higher there. Right. And the support for the comedy community, pretty good, or is it still kind of pull for yourself, and hey, if the other guy does good, good for him, but I'm not going to... I think 
I, I think comedy scenes, it's you always wish another guy well, but you're always counting. There's only so many spots on the top, right. and if that guy does well, that, that means I can't. San Francisco's very cliquish, and it took months to, to feel like I'm part of this community now. Right. Um, and some people look, look down on it because of, oh, those guys are a little too full of themselves. But that's just the way it is there. Anywhere you go, you're going to have to work. And, and break into that scene. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of times people want to see if, if you're going to be there long enough to even start being friends with you because they see so many comics come and go in two or three months to give up. You know, if, if you live in Chicago and all these guys are come, moving to your city, you might see a guy ten times before you even talk to him probably because you're like, he's going to give up. Why even invest time in that dude, well, right? Well, San Francisco's a big market, and it, uh, there, yeah, there are a ton of guys. There are a hundred world-class comics there because there's such a scene there. So yeah, there's there's always people coming through, and then LA's close enough where once someone in San Francisco gets gets their chops, and they can go down to LA and just drop start in. at the bottom rung there, but make their way up and and hit it big or not. Yeah, it's cool. And so you've done this for a while. Now we were talking right before we hit the microphone that you're looking for other things to do as well. I mean, there's there's things you can take your comedy into different niche markets and things. Where you get paid really well and you use all this experience you've gained for the past 20 years to do that. So what are some things you're looking for to kind of push yourself into the next couple of years? Well, I, I've been doing some corporate work, which is great. Um, because you've learned over the years doing one-nighters or gigs that aren't run properly. You know how to work a room where uh, the mic doesn't work or they don't have it lit well or the TV's on or everyone's sitting at a round table so half the audience is facing Get their back to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you learn you learn those things um, and you have your confidence and chops from doing this long enough. So I do a lot of corporate events which are they're they, you know they're not as raucous as working a club because they aren't seated in a theater. Right. But uh, you work through that and you don't sweat and they don't see that you're struggling because of they don't have a mic or you're standing behind a lectern and no one can see right. you or <laughs> Or the lighting is fluorescent lighting, and the audience is lit more than the than you are. Um, so they're not ideal, but they're great paychecks, and you don't have to work two weeks on the road because you got the corporate gig, and then you can use those two weeks to stay at home and 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 work on new stuff and bounce new stuff off your friends and really hone the new chunk of material. But getting corporate work is. It's not easy. Yeah, you got to kind of build your build your network there, just like you do in the clubs or anywhere else. You got to be around for a while and establish yourself, and finally the referrals start coming from one event you did. That guy's on a board of directors for another company yeah, or something. Yeah, save, save. I save all of my testimonials and referrals and all of that because that's that's the ammunition that you have. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm going for bigger fish now. That's right. what it is. I've I've got the skills. I know I can do it. I have the experience, I have the testimonials, I have a couple clips that they can look at, and now instead of chasing little fish, I'll just get a big one right. less often. But And do all your clips online. Uh, if they were looking at two clips that say my corporate clips, and they were looking at that, then they saw other clips online. Would those other clips cancel out the corporate? Or it's all clean, right, online? Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, I haven't, done, I haven't done dirty stuff in a, in a while. And... Uh, so I only put stuff online that I that is top notch. I think it's important because I see a lot of comics. You know, I, I've taught this class in Nashville for ten or twelve years, and, and some of those guys are doing it, and they're doing some corporate stuff. But they'll post stuff online on their YouTube channel, or whatever that's not corporate clean. And I just tell them if you're going to try to go corporate, 
you got to keep that across the board because they're going to keep looking at videos. Mm-hmm. Enough people have been burned where they, they only watched one video. Then the comic got there, and there was only three minutes of funny uh-huh. that was clean. So if you're listening out there and you, and you want to go after a, a clean market, then everything online, your online presence is your reputation. It's got to be consistent. I mean, yeah, some or, or you could say, hey, this is a, a club show, and it's R-rated. Right. Let them know. But, yeah, if they look at a corporate clip and they go, oh, this guy's good. Let's see what else he's got. And then they go to your unlabeled YouTube site. Right. And they'll, they realize, oh, this guy is, is just dropping F-bombs everywhere. Yeah. Then they'll say, ah, oh, let's not hire him. Let's that, hire Rick Roberts. That, that little guy. bit of doubt is all it takes. Yeah. Uh, it's just funny that people, and even on your Facebook posts and all that stuff, people will look. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't think you, it's not not being true to yourself, but it, it's smart business if you're going to go after one thing to put out. I mean, Coca-Cola wouldn't start doing ads that didn't reflect their brand mm-hmm. and you're a brand. I mean, that's what you turn into after 10, 15 years. Yep. It's a brand. And, and uh, you said something else that I was going to comment on and I forget what it was, but it was, it was related to branding. Um, you are a you are a commodity. And it is a business. It's it's fun. It's a great art form. Uh, for some people, it's a hobby. Uh, for some people, it's it's therapy or it's a way for them to have an outlet. But the bottom line is, it's a business. And when you say, you know, keep it clean, I'm sure there's some people rolling their eyes, going, oh, I don't want to keep it clean. I want to work the sure the improv or this club. That's that's great. But after you do that, 12 years or 15 years or 20 years. You're going to be too old for that club, or you're going to realize I can't do this every week and have a life or a family at home, and I want to uh, still do the sort of same thing, but with a different audience. Right. And that's when you want to have uh, in your arsenal clean stuff. Yeah, and I think even for the the younger guys who are just starting out, to be honest, it's going to be hard to get a good MC week at a, a good club if you're filthy, because mm-hmm. they want somebody to set the tone for the night that it's a professionally run place. I mean, the good clubs. The good clubs, right? Right. Not all clubs are good. There's clubs. enough clubs out there that you could actually survive and do comedy for a while and then do B rooms with B material, kind of a deal. But if you want to work the better places, they're going to look for some clean openers, and if you can do that, you're going to work all the clubs that they're affiliated with, because that's what they can't find these days. As a, a young person who's actually clean, funny, and professionalist, like. That's all you have to be, and, and funny is the least part of that equation. But yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, I spent a couple years in Hollywood, and I would say how funny you are, which is subjective anyway, is fourth or fifth thing on the list. Uh, they're looking for someone who's professional, someone who's responsible. Sometimes in if they're casting a, a show or a movie, they're looking at age and race and, and, and body type. Right. And... Um, Oh, and then also next on the list is how funny someone can be. Um, sometimes a club, there'll be a funny guy who's, uh, who's who's funny, and then there's somebody else who might not be as funny, but he's willing to uh, pick up the headliner from the airport. Right. He's willing to show up early to do a radio interview. And, hey, that guy's responsible. He's He's always at the club early. And the guy who's an inch funnier is half an inch less responsible so let's go with this other guy right. so there's funny's not the the first thing on the list yeah i mean funny there's enough funny guys to pick from we yeah. can agree on that there's there yeah. are a lot of funny people but having that bringing extra value to the club mm-hmm. and they're not paying you an extra dollar to do all those extra things but you're bringing something to them that they're going to work you all the time yep and uh when i first started i found a few clubs that they liked the way i emceed they would book me for two or three weeks on the road different cities where i could just 
park my car for three weeks and be in the same town as an MC, mm-hmm. and I have to spend all that money driving across, you know, from Des Moines to Davenport to wherever, Omaha, and back and forth. And being on the road for three weeks in one place is a lot easier than being in 21 places yeah. in three weeks. Way better. And you have, for me, if I could unpack my bag for two days, I could write a new bit. If it's one day and I got to hop back in the car the next morning yep. and do the one-nighter thing all the time, I never got any writing done unless it was in the car on the way to the yeah. thing. And it's and if it's you're in a place for, for more than a couple of days, you can buy a box of cereal and, <laughs> and eat the whole thing. Yeah, let's talk about that. And not, not have to eat out every meal. Yeah. And you could, you could settle in and feel part of not just the, the hotel, but you're part of the town. And by the end of three weeks, you have, uh, you've lived there, so you can write bits about that exactly. experience. And those are your opening jokes the next time you come back. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny how that works out. Even here in Grand Rapids, I hadn't been up here. Well, I haven't been in a comedy club for almost three and a half years. I've been doing mostly corporate and fundraisers and stuff outside of that environment. So when I got here, I was like, man, what, what was I talking about the last time I was up here? And I had a couple of Michigan jokes that I hadn't done in three and a half, four years. But I pulled them out. That's what I opened up with on these shows. And they've been working great. Mm-hmm. You know, but I really only use them in Michigan. So it's like you. So you need to, you need to write those down. And have them somewhere so right. when you come back three and a half years later. But that's, that's a good trick. Not a trick, but a good strategy. Uh, again, I, I'm pretending that there's newbies listening. Um, connect with the audience early on in your set. And how do you connect with an audience? If you have a joke about their town, that makes a better connection than something that happened three states away. Right. So, yeah, you connect with them. You have that connection. Then you can steer your material the way you want because you've won them over. Yeah, they feel like you spend a little time getting to know them mm-hmm. by being able to create a joke for them. So yeah, it's a cool thing. And uh, what we're talking about, you know, traveling and, and getting that box of cereal, it's funny, like, there were some weeks where just getting to the gig took all the time. Had you ever had experience when you're on the road and you hit a condo or something and you had like 40 minutes before you had to get to the, the club and do your set and you're starving? And mm-hmm. Have you ever had condo food left by another comic? Have you ever seen that in the fridge? Oh, I've seen that all the time, yeah. But uh, Let me, can I tell you a story? <laughs> sure, tell me. Just, it I, seems like it's going somewhere else. So yeah. Rule number one, don't eat the condo food left by another comic, even if it's not opened yet and still in the package. Um, I was with, with an improv group for a while. We traveled all the way down to Florida from Columbus, Ohio. We drove overnight. Uh, we get there. We got a, The guy that drove the van was too tired to take us to the grocery. So I look in the fridge, and hey, man, in the fridge there's a brand-new loaf of bread, a brand new pack of Velveeta cheese and a brand new pack of bacon. Perfect. It's all brand new. I checked the dates. Everything's good. I think I'll make me a little bacon and cheese sandwich. And I do. Tastes great. Do the show. About midnight, it kicks in. And it's the worst food poisoning I've ever had. Oh, you have, Do you have to cook the bacon? Do you know that? Well, I did cook the bacon. Okay. Here's okay. what I didn't realize. The power had been turned off in the condo for two days while the comics were out. And they flipped the switch that morning before we came in. Oh. And so that bacon had been sitting there. Two for days. Two days. So the entire week I could have been doing the shows at night and hitting the beach during the day. I was just hanging in the condo. Oh. Food poisoning 101. So little things you learn that way. Yeah, and a lot of stuff goes without saying, you know, but that one is learn my lesson hard. <laughs> uh, oh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> but it's, it's all those things that you look back and you're like, I don't wish I had that experience, but it's a funny one to me now. And that's, that's the great thing about the journey. I mean, over 21 years, and you started out in Tucson, then San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Did you move to some other cities? And San Francisco, L.A., uh-huh. and then L.A. Uh, L.A. is a game, and I didn't, I didn't play the game. I, don't, I didn't know the game. I don't like playing games, and I just didn't jump through those hoops. And went back to Arizona, and then recently I went, 
I moved to DC. And in LA, it's a short game too, right? A lot of seven-minute sets. And oh short yeah, sets. yeah, yeah, a lot of that. But it's uh, but that whole political schmoozing and hanging out and shaking hands and being buddies with someone. But you get a lot of the people looking over your shoulder to see who's coming in the room next. That is and the, that is the most true thing. I went out a few times, and every time I was talking to somebody, it's all they were doing was looking behind me to see if they yeah. should be talking to somebody else. Yeah. And it's it's. I remember being in line somewhere, and I was saying, I don't know, just my own opinion on somebody. Or a movie. I think it was about a movie. And the guy standing next to me goes, hey, man, keep it down. The guy next to us could be the producer or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I don't know if he's at the 7-Eleven. But, <laughs> but at the same point, I'm not going to watch everything I say and not have an opinion the rest of my life, hoping that somebody else will put me into something. But the, that's the business that side is. of it is it's it's a business there. And you have to, you know, who's hot, who's not, who are you going to talk to? Uh, you have to work those relationships. And because it's L.A., it seems a little... A little shallow, but that's unfortunately how how it is. That's and when you were out there, were you looking for TV work? I mean, as an actor or more just TV breaks as a comic? Uh, TV breaks as a comic, mm -hmm. and I won this Comedy Central contest and moved down to L.A. and had a bunch of interviews and talked to VH1 and MTV and NBC and CBS and all of those meetings. And, of course, I didn't know what I was doing or what I was saying, so I... In retrospect, I probably looked like just some hick. <laughs> some dude coming off the street. Yeah, who didn't know what, what he was talking about. And when I had these meetings, and I was waiting for my manager to, to help out, but at the time, my manager had way too many clients, so he didn't spend a lot of time on me. He was spending his time on his clients who were doing very well. And, for instance, Patton Oswald was mm -hmm. one of them. And so he was grooming Patton, and I felt like I'm not doing anything and didn't get a lot of sets in. And every time I did a set... It was uh, wondering if that big name was going to walk in, so I always had to do my my best stuff. Right. So my act didn't grow any because there was no momentum because I was stuck doing the same old doing the greatest hits. Yeah. Yep. And so that's L.A. to me stopped the momentum of my of my writing, and I didn't get anything out of it. It was uh, a, a struggle. It was not a lot of not a lot of stage time. Not less than what I was doing before. Right. And less uh, pay. Less pay. If any, or, on some of those things, uh -huh. right? And just uh, kind of playing this game without realizing what the rules were. And I you know, said, so forget that. And, and how long was Stretch? Was that out there? A couple of years? That was two years out yeah. there. And yes, I didn't give it enough time. And, and yes, I admit, if I did it again, I would know how to do it better. And But you can't regret. I'm trying to learn not to look back and say, hey, if I did this here, right, then maybe like my friend who got this, I could get this. And uh, that's a a no-win game when you compare yourself to somebody else. Yeah, no you doubt about it. That's a game you always lose. Lose it. I, I talk about it all the time, how the energy you spend talking about somebody else's career is just energy you're not putting into your own. Mm -hmm. So it's double negative. You're, you took time away from yourself of progressing and you're bringing yourself down mm -hmm. with all that. And that, that's, a, that's a tricky thing to get into, especially if you're on the road all the time with guys who are bitter and guys who There's feel like should be in a, a different spot. A bitterness, you know. How come so-and-so got that show? And how come, well, you know, maybe he lives in New York or L.A. and is doing sets in front of the bookers mm -hmm. all the time. So they know him and they know what he's capable of. Um, yeah, That's so one answer. But there's a million other things. Again, how funny one is is the fifth thing on the list. Right. So there's, there's hustle. There's the amount of time you put in it. There's how early you wake up in the day. There's a lot of things. That could be a big game changer by itself. Yeah, Most I comics, I admit, Most. my first, when I finally crossed the threshold and I was doing it full time, I just, I love the hours. Stay up till three, mm -hmm. sleep till noon, stay up till three, sleep till noon. 
but a lot of stuff gets done between nine and 12 in the morning. <laughs> a whole lot. Yeah. And the, the people that are doing that are just jumping, leapfrogging you. Yep. You know, sometimes I work with comics when we stay in the condo and I get up at noon and the comic was gone already. I'm like, well, they're a go-getter and they just got up at 11, <laughs> but they still had one more hour of getting things done than I did. You know, yep. it's funny. As you get older, I think naturally you wake up earlier anyway, but uh, the thing for me is going to bed at the right time. Mm-hmm. getting in that I can be effective the next day if I push it this is a little bit pushing it for me staying out a little bit later and I want to see the other comics and some of the other shows and stuff but if, if I'm tucking it in at two or three in the morning it's going to be a tough day the next day yeah you know if I'm in before midnight things could happen tomorrow mm-hmm. after that we'll just see if I even fall asleep it's <laughs> one of those things you know so how do you keep yourself disciplined on the road do you have a I noticed I was leaving the gym today at the hotel, and you were running, so I know that's one thing you like to do. I like to run, um, and but like you, I don't work the clubs as much as I did in the old days. So to me, this is kind of a rare event of being at a place for more than one day. And But luckily, there was a, a gym with a treadmill, so I took advantage of that. Um, but the secret, I think, is getting up early, getting something done before lunch, before you're slacker friends are are even getting up do you like to write early um very recently i've started forcing myself to write uh even just a little bit in the morning um while my daughter's getting ready for school and while she's busy for 10 15 minutes i will force myself to here's a joke that's been bouncing around in my head i will put it down on paper somewhere just to make it get it out of bouncing around my Mm -hmm. brain and put it on paper. And that little thing does so much because it clears space for the next thing. And now my next set, I can look, oh, this thing's ready to go. I just need to tweak it and memorize it. And my stuff is very wordy, as you mentioned. So I like to, the words have to be just, just so. It's a poem more than anything. It almost is. I was noticing that last night. There's the, the economy of words was, was right dead on. Like you didn't have any extra words in there. You gave the crowd the exact right amount of time to respond to it, and then how you, how you respond to their reaction, you know, is Which in is, there. <laughs> there's no response. There's like it's deadpan. Yeah, so. yeah. It's like plow right through, and it, it sets a pace for them. And I think once they fall into that rhythm, I think that's the beauty of comedy is when when the comic has the crowd in that rhythm of their set instead of the you know the bad thing to get, try to do is try to get into the rhythm of the crowd when you're a comic. Like when I was working clubs, if the if the room was really hot, I'd try to be twice as quick on the stage and all this stuff and if it was a little bit more laid back i try to play it down a little bit but you've got to do your thing yeah every show well and, and that's the only thing i know how to do so i do my stuff and they can get on board or not and sometimes they don't get on board and i've learned to accept that but that almost plays into it though i think for yours if they don't get on board the people that are laughing are, are looking at the people that aren't laughing thinking that they're smarter than the people that aren't laughing. Do you feel that on stage? You know, someone made that comment last night as well. I, I get that a lot. One guy came up to me and he said, I got about 80% of that last night. <laughs> but there was one joke that I got that someone else at my table didn't. So they're able to pat themselves on the back because, oh, we got it, but they didn't. Yeah, so there is sort of an el- like an elitism in, in that. Yeah. I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah, I think that's great. If you, if, you know, if they come at the end, they finally jump on board with it. Even if it took them that whole time, it, they're still helping the other crowd have a better time. And if I can get, if I can have a, by the end, if I can have most of the people in my pace or in my zone or, or on the same page as I am, and I close with that and I close strong, then that's, that's all I want. But I've had shows where, where people are staring at me <laughs> going, this guy is an idiot. <laughs> and, and then they don't. 
And they think the crowd's an idiot too for listening. Right. They think, how, how, why did we hire this guy? But they don't realize that I'm pretending to be that guy. Yeah. I've had some weird things. Have you had managers of clubs or back in the day? I mean, you did this in the clubs for a little bit, right? Before you kind of uh, segued out. Yes. I would say the shows that didn't work were, were not at clubs, were a private event where, okay. where expectations are a little bit different anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than once, someone has... Uh, let me back up a step. There's a... Uh, there's one point in the show where I brag about myself and I essentially say that, you know, there's nobody smarter than Moy and I point to myself. Right. And that that's just that sums up the character, I think, a little bit. He thinks he's smart, right. but he's not. Right. I've had at least two people from the audience say, It's not pronounced Moy <laughs> And to me they 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 they've <laughs> They're not getting it. Right. I mean, that, of course it's not. That's <laughs> that's the funny part. That's the funny part, right. yes. And if you have to explain <laughs> the funny part, then you're, you're missing it. So every once in a while, there will be a crowd that just doesn't get me. And it's it's frustrating because I'm like, I, I'm playing as dumb as I possibly can. Right. And if you're so dumb that you can't see that I'm pretending to be dumb, then, I, I, you're, then it's not a good fit. Right. That's funny it, stuff. It rarely happens. And when it does, I just don't know how to handle it. Yeah. Have you ever um, purposefully stepped out of character in the last 15 or 20 seconds before you dismount the stage to let them all know that it was a, a character? Have you ever like shrugged it off and go, well, okay. No, but someone is, uh, a couple of people have suggested that I, I have to make it clear that they know that it's, a, that it's a character and break from that. So a lot of times when I finish, because I'm deadpan the whole time, a lot of times I'll finish and that's when I'll you know wave and engage and smile. Um, but I never go, Okay, here's yeah, switch. Here's that character. Hope you enjoy that character. Right. I never. I've thought about it. I thought of maybe starting by saying, okay, you know, you know, just talk to the audience and then say something like, okay, I'm gonna do the show now, and then, you know, change gears, channel into it. But I found that because my act is very wordy, I could not get a laugh until I started speaking because I rely so much on words. But then I started to walk on stage being very stiff, playing this nerdy, smart, dumb guy. And I started to get laughs just on how I hold the mic Mm -hmm. and and get set up. And so I started to milk that a little bit. So then it became this thing where, oh, I'll just be in character the whole time. I'll get a laugh before I even open my mouth, do the whole show. And then as I leave, then I can smile. And then at that point, they should already know that it's a character yeah. because some of the stuff is... Yeah, nobody could be that naive and dumb. At, at a certain point, you're just like, okay, this Yeah, at, this at a certain point, they have to all go, okay, this he's yeah. pretending. And at that point, they should enjoy it even more, I would think. Yeah, once they figure it out, I get booked sometimes as a... As a... Imposter speaker? Like a fake speaker, mm-hmm. yeah. And the longer it takes them to realize that, that I'm fake the bigger the payoff is. Yeah, that's a fun gig. I don't know how many people listening have have heard of this before, but um, I've, I've been hired for that a few times too where they bring you in as either an expert on something or um, I've been I've been invited to come in as a guy who was supposed to actually deliver my keynote in the room next door, but I came in the wrong room. Oh. So all these engineers are supposed to be learning about some kind of new lead certified way to create a building or something uh-huh. like that. And I come in talking about fire safety <laughs> and like about 15 minutes into it, I mean, I've got slides and everything and I'm just like sweating bullets on purpose. Like <laughs> you guys just don't see what I'm saying here. And then finally a guy comes in the back and goes, Hey, you're supposed to be in the ballroom next door. I'm like, 
oh, that makes sense. And I walk out. And it's a 15-minute punchline. He's like, boom. Then I come back and finish with 30 minutes of stand-up. So it's like one of those okay. switcheroo yeah. things. So some people call it a faux speaker, F-A-U-X. Some people call it an imposter speaker. But when you do that as your character, you just do you do any of your material material? I do, I do a lot of my material. But then I have some material on being a, a motivational speaker, mm-hmm. which I've been calling a fotivational speaker. There you go. I, I, need, to, I need to trademark that. Um, That's pretty good. Uh, but I, I'll start by saying, you know, you know, it's a business meeting. The last one I did was uh, one company had bought another company, and they were having a, a week of meetings to get to know so, each other. Yeah, yeah. and so I, I did a morning thing, and of course they're all groggy in the morning, and I just start talking, just just nonsense, yeah. and by the five seven minutes into it, some of them start to get it. So then some giggling starts, and then they realize, oh, this whole thing is just a, a ruse. Um, and that's great that those tense moments of this guy doesn't know what he's talking mm-hmm. about. He's an idiot. He's using terminology that we know, but he's using it in the wrong way. <laughs> that's the best. Yeah. I love it. I was just thinking the last one I did, I was out in Denver and it was a, a hard drive company. Basically they make the, uh, like the SD cards, mm-hmm. but in big scalable models for companies. So they don't have to use hard disk anymore. Like, um, Cisco made their living off of selling these big hard drive backup systems for companies. Okay. And they're still trying to sell those, even though the SD thing is the way to go, because there's like 99.9% uptime, because there's no moving parts in the SD oh, card. right, right, right. So anyway, I, I was brought in as a, one of their clients, their newest client, after like three real client testimonials of how great this has been working for them. <laughs> and I came in as a, a guy of this new global corporation, but I serve the underserved and the people who can't get served. And it's basically I'm providing terrorists with cloud support because <laughs> the last thing a terrorist needs in the middle of an attack is a stop and call in IT, you know? Yeah. So it's just unreal. And these guys are super smart. They're all computer people. So they got it pretty quick. And it was just, it was fun the whole time for 15 minutes. It just keeps unrolling how, you know, we can't have downtime. That means nobody's dying. You know, yep. <laughs> just the laughs are so fun from it. And I, I like those. It becomes a writing challenge sometimes. Yeah, a, yeah. Here's a whole area that you've never heard of, and you've got to present it in a semi-believable way. And they and they give you a list of uh, of terms, and these are the tools that we use. And you have to, yeah, it is a great writing exercise to put those skills together. But after doing this two decades, you know how to do that, right? And that's why you get hired. And that's. And it's a fun thing. I tell you, there's so many things that can come out of just doing your stand-up. And there's nothing wrong, obviously, if you only have... I mean, if you're lucky enough just to only do stand-up for your entire life and you're in whatever venue you like as you progress through the ages, that's great. And there are very few people who've done that. It's a handful, really. Yeah. But there's so many things that spin off of that. Yes. And when you start, you don't know those things. And you think, uh, I can do this forever, till you realize it doesn't pay all the bills and you're, you're always gone and you don't have a home and you live out of a suitcase. But you learn the skills to do these other events and gigs that, that, aren't, that aren't selling out. But it's not at a nightclub, so you're not performing in front of drunks. You're not right. babysitting drunks all night either. And you work, you use the same skills and you... You, again, it's it's getting after bigger fish. So, the clubs are a great place to learn the skills and always go back to keep the rust off. But these other things yeah. are are a way that uh, can be the br- the bread and butter. And it, I think it all comes back down to the writing because if you don't learn writing the right way early, you're gonna be playing catch up all the time. There there are some guys that are so great at performing they can get away with having horrible material. I mean, you've seen guys that can sell anything on stage before, but they don't last long. You know, they don't last forever, and they don't get the opportunities that spring off of being a good writer. I mean, when you can have that attached as part of your 
you know, your brand. You know, he's a funny guy on stage, and he can write off stage. Opens up tons of things. Mm-hmm. And for young comics who think they want to go out to L.A. and stuff, that's another thing. If you can write for other people as well as yourself, somebody's more apt to manage you. You might get more agents' attention because you can provide two incomes that mm-hmm. they can tap off of. If you can only perform, you're only good for them an hour a day. But if you can write, you're making money for them all day long. People might not know the, uh, how many writers there are in L.A. It is it is the gig to get. If you're single and young and, and have traveled the country and you're just tired of traveling and you want a, a steady, semi-steady job as part of the union, um, a lot of comics end up getting into writing. There's a guy whose name I can't remember right now who was in, in San Francisco, Andy, ah, Andy something, was a decent comic. Moved to L.A., got a job writing for a show called Malcolm in the Middle, which Mm -hmm. tells you how long ago this was, and ended up writing one of the episodes that got nominated for an Emmy and won the Emmy. So then he got promoted to be sort of the the showrunner and top writer, and then that's a step below producer. So he was making half a million dollars an episode. You know, there's 22 episodes a year, so he's making $11 million a year. From a guy, if you saw perform, you would say he's not the funniest guy, and he's a guy who can walk down the street and you wouldn't recognize right. him. And it's a name that I forgot because I don't remember it, but has done very well for himself and a very comfortable uh, career. And a lot of comics who don't who don't connect at the clubs end up writing for the shows. Every show's got a dozen writers. Right. So look at every show, every sitcom, every late night talk show. Every variety type show has these writers that are making, you know, whatever they make, three grand a week for for submitting sketches and ideas and monologue jokes. Yeah. So I mean, it's keep that writing, keep that writing in mind, and keep it as a part of your habit. And now that we're towards the end of the uh, the podcast here, I want to ask you, going forward, I mean, you've had your Comedy Central thing, and I, I know you're working on a CD now. It sounds like. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, is that your primary focus right now is to get that CD put together? And what are your next couple things down the road you're looking forward to? I'm, I'm amassing bits that I record to, to put a CD together. I am slowly putting a podcast together. Um, it's it, it's going to be a completely different kind of, of podcast. Uh-huh. But I, I want to have more of a social media presence um, to get more fans because it's those fans who go, uh, let's hire this guy for our, our holiday party. And it doesn't matter where you live because those gigs can yep. can afford to fly someone to to a different place. So, um, I just branching out there and and uh, and again, like I said, and I've been forcing myself again to write daily to to get those new new bits out. I'm tired of a lot of my old stuff. You know what? Even I want I want to record it, put it on a thing, and then put it put in it the drawers so I can pull out this new notebook. Yeah, over time you get to know it so well. It's kind of, it gets to be hard to present on stage as fresh if it isn't after a pretty good run, yeah, right? Yeah. So I mean, I think all of us want to keep moving, moving the needle forward and getting more writing done. And um, I mean, without all that stuff, without something in front of you to reach for, it's, it can stale out pretty quick. Yeah. You know, a lot of comics you see just they stop and it's just that one forty-five minute set or an hour, and it's just always looking for a new audience. Mm-hmm. But if you can change the material, you know, in three years' time, if you can re- flush it all out and have a new hour, I think that's a respectable goal. Mm-hmm. Everybody's trying to do that one hour every year deal, which is impossible. Uh, it's possible. A lot of people do it. But I've noticed 
the people who do it, it's some of the stuff isn't as, as polished. Mm-hmm. If you have a joke that you've been working on for a year, it's going to be a certain way. But if you can polish it over three years, you can really get some nuance out of it. Some of the jokes that I've been doing this competition thing, this festival, are older jokes that I have honed and honed and honed over the years. So sometimes it uh, they stand out for being strong, but sometimes I feel like I'm on autopilot when I deliver them. That's the trade-off. Right. That's a weird feeling when you notice you're on o- autopilot on stage. Yeah. You know, even if it's going good, you're like, wait a second. I've done seven minutes. I, don't, I haven't thought about anything yet. <laughs> it's yeah. just like open up here. It comes out and I'm just reacting and moving forward. Occasionally I find myself doing that. And I just, I have to like slowly take it out of that gear. Cause if you quickly take it out, the audience notices maybe for the first time. Yeah. So you got to kind of work your way back into normal pace. Try to be, uh, try to be more in the moment. I've been recently changing a little word here and there just so I have to be present when I'm delivering it. And being present, of course, and I'm connected with them, and and I have them there in my hand. But otherwise, if I'm on autopilot, I'm I'm in. I, I could drop the ball without even knowing it because I'm not paying attention. All right, a lot of good stuff in there. Now, where can people find you online? Is it robertmack.com? Yes, or? it is. It's robertmack.com. And it's mac.com. Yes, robertmack.com. Okay. Mac is M-A-C. Gotcha. Because I, I searched it M-A-C-K and it still came up like it, you were number one with your website right underneath the wrong spelling. So it's oh, M-A-C, cool. Robert Mack, M-A-C dot com. And you can check out his Comedy Central special on the website or your, your clip. I have, a, I have a clip on there, yeah. On the, the workplace bit. Yes, yes. It's very it's, funny. you, you got to check that. I was watching that this morning and it was rolling. Oh, All cool. these people over here trying to get over there. Why don't you just oh, live here a, and work over here? <laughs> so old. Oh, yes, I know what you mean, though. But I've, <laughs> I, I've need to. That was before the. I kind of developed the character that I developed. So every time I do that bit now, it's a whole different feel because that. Yeah, I saw hints of the character in there. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah, towards the end there, I saw a couple of hints where you're like, of course, this should make sense to everybody. Yeah. It doesn't kind of thing. So good stuff. Well, thanks very much for popping in. Thanks, Rick. And look forward to catching your set again tonight. Oh, cool. Have uh, a, I hope uh, I hope this uh, project goes goes well for you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, I, you know, this is all pre-release, and I'm, I'm banking them. I'm having fun and learning, so I'm sure the audience listening in will be along for the next one. So. Well, and but do they know that, that it's 2011 right now, and you're just stockpiling <laughs> it's these? T- it's 2006, <laughs> and that was not an old bit. In fact, you haven't even written that yet. It's two years away. Yes, <laughs> yes. The time good. machine. Well, thanks a lot, Robert. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks, Rick. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. For information on upcoming classes, check out schooloflaughs.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a ranking on iTunes. Send any questions or comments to schooloflaughs at gmail.com. And until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.